1: Visit Symbiotica.com and use code iHeart for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com, dot com.
0: Strange News Daily is a production of iHeart Media.
1: In a world full of bizarre events, unsolved mysteries, and a billion stories from all corners of the globe, some news gets lost in the shuffle. This is your gateway to the stories on the fringe of the mainstream map. These are your dispatches in the dark. I'm Ben Bolin, and this is the Strange News Daily. Our first story today takes us into orbit. Right now, there are more than 2,000 known active satellites orbiting this lovely little planet of ours. At the end of their cosmic career, many of these are going to experience orbital decay, eventually falling back toward Earth's surface and burning up as they re-enter the atmosphere. A few, however, will stay their course continuing to orbit around the planet as, get this, zombie satellites. According to amateur radio operator Scott Tilley, these satellites exist in a weirdly independent state. He notes that most zombie satellites are satellites that are no longer under human control or have failed to some degree. And over the years, Tilley has made a career of sorts hunting them down. In 2018, for example, he discovered a signal from a satellite called IMAGE. This is a NASA probe that the U.S. Space Agency had lost track of way back in 2005. From his home in British Columbia, Canada, Tilly was able to help NASA reestablish contact with the satellite. I guess, if you're a fan of terrible jokes, you could say Scott literally helped NASA with their IMAGE. Pause for groans. Recently, Tilly has found a new satellite. It's called LES-5. LES-5 was an experimental UHF communication satellite built by the Lincoln Laboratory over at MIT. It was launched more than 50 years ago, back in 1967. And over the years, it got lost in space. LES-5 stood out to Tilly for two reasons. First, he knew someone else had found another one of these MIT satellites in 2016, the earlier model, the LES-1. Second, Tilly reasoned, if LES-5 was indeed still working as a zombie satellite, it would be the oldest working satellite in geostationary orbit. He jumped on this case, digging online until he found a paper outlining the radio frequency that LES-5, if it still worked, was operating on. Tilly decided this was worth a look, but it would take some planning. He notes that attempting to contact LES-5 first required the building of an antenna, it required him to erect a new structure to support the antenna, he needed preamps, filters, and things that take time to gather and time to assemble. You can imagine how this kind of endeavor can get pretty involved pretty quickly. See, Tilly is also a family man with his own business, so his time is limited. It was at a premium, at least that is before the coronavirus pandemic. When British Columbia went into lockdown, Tilly decided to use his sudden glut of extra time to search the skies and... On March 24th, he found his flying zombie. Yet the plot thickens. First, he found the satellite's telemetry beacon is still operating, even though it was supposed to shut down in 1972. While this might sound like something from a Black Mirror episode, it makes sense. LES-5 is solar-powered. That means that as long as those solar panels on the satellite are soaking up rays from the sun, it will still be able to operate. Tilly believes it might even be possible to send commands to the object. But there's one last complication, and it's an interesting one. The MIT lab that built LES-5 still does a ton of work on classified projects for the military. Their official response when asked about contacting this satellite? No comment. It makes you wonder, what's up there, hurtling past us in the dark? Our second story today is grim. As you may know, infrastructure in countries and cities across the planet is in danger of being overwhelmed by the influx of coronavirus consequences. Unemployment and aid programs are inundated. Hospitals and care facilities are, in many cases, at a crisis point. Manufacturers of certain products are in overdrive, struggling to keep up with the skyrocketing demand for supplies like masks, gloves, sanitizer, and more. And one other industry has been affected. Funeral homes. Some are refusing new customers. Many, like hospitals, find themselves overwhelmed. Just a few days ago, police in New York City found between 40 to 60 bodies stored in unrefrigerated U-Hauls as well as bodies on the floor of Andrew Cleckley Funeral Services in Brooklyn. According to sources on the scene, the corpses were stacked on top of one another inside the trucks, and fluid leaking from inside created a terrible smell that caused neighboring store owners to contact the police. Along with the police, several other agencies are investigating these trucks. Part of the street was temporarily closed to the public. John D. Pietro owns a neighboring property. He said that he had observed bodies being stored in the trucks for at least several weeks during the pandemic. So, what exactly happened? Eric Adams, the Brooklyn Borough President, was on the scene. Yet he could not confirm any details about the storage. He said the city needed to ramp up staff for a bereavement committee, something to deal with the surging deaths due to the pandemic. He continued saying we need to bring in funeral directors, morgues, medical examiners, clergies. When you find bodies and trucks like this throughout our city, treating them in an undignified manner, that's unacceptable. In addition to the two U-Hauls containing corpses, the funeral facility had two more refrigerated trucks, also storing bodies, and a third box truck full of empty caskets. That's according to the police sources. The funeral home itself told officers that the bodies were supposed to be going to a crematorium, but its staff hadn't come to pick them up. According to an unnamed official, the truck storage scheme began when the funeral home's freezer started malfunctioning. As authorities labored to remove the bodies, they extended a tarpaulin from the building as a series of Dodge caravans drove onto the sidewalk to transport the cadavers. One shocked police officer noted, you don't see this all over the city, especially in a residential neighborhood. The police officer concluded, never seen anything like this. Let's hope this is not the beginning of a pattern. Well, that was grisly. Let's lighten things up for our third story today. Over in Pakistan, the government is instituting a new, innovative approach to two enormous problems, deforestation and unemployment. Tens of thousands of employees left jobless by the COVID-19 pandemic are now planting billions of trees across the country, gaining a new source of income and helping in the war against climate change. Since Pakistan closed down starting March 23rd to try and stem the spread of coronavirus, unemployed day laborers have been given new jobs as jungle workers, planting saplings as part of the country's 10 billion tree tsunami program. This approach is an example of what's sometimes referred to as the green stimulus. The idea that we can hit two problematic birds with one stone, addressing fallout from the current viral crisis while preparing for what Pakistan sees as its next big threat, widespread climate change. According to Rahman, a resident of the Rawalpindi district in the Punjab province, this initiative is a lifesaver. He notes, due to coronavirus, all the cities have shut down and there is no work. Most of us daily wagers couldn't earn a living. Now Robin makes around 500 rupees or $300 U.S. per day planting trees. While he says this is only around half of what he made in his previous employment, he believes it's enough to get by on for now. This is not an entirely new endeavor. Prime Minister Imran Khan launched the five-year tree planting operation, 10 Billion Trees Tsunami, in 2018, aiming to counter the rising temperatures, flooding, droughts, and other extreme weather plaguing the country. According to the Global Climate Risk Index of 2020, Pakistan ranks fifth on the list of countries most affected by planetary heating over the last 20 years. When COVID hit, This project was temporarily frozen due to understandable concerns about social distancing. But earlier this month, the Prime Minister granted an exception, allowing the Forestry Agency to restart the program and create more than 63,600 jobs, at least according to government officials. With estimates predicting up to 19 million people could be laid off in Pakistan due to the pandemic, Many laborers feel this is the difference between surviving or starving. While much of the country is still observing stay-at-home orders, local police and district authorities have been told trucks carrying trees should be allowed to travel and that villagers should be permitted to leave their homes if they're working with this project. Much of the reforestation effort is centered on 15,000 acres of land near the capital of Pakistan, Islamabad. According to Malik Amin Aslam, the climate change advisor to the prime minister, this year the program is employing three times the number of workers it did in its first year, and it's focusing on hiring women and the unemployed daily workers. The majority of those workers are younger people migrating from cities that are currently under lockdown. They're setting up nurseries, planting saplings, and serving as forest protection guards or forest firefighters. All of the workers have been told to wear masks and maintain the mandated two meters, that's six feet for us here in the U.S., of social distance between individuals. The initial response from the public has been positive. This initiative is seen as a dignified way for folks to earn a living while avoiding handouts. So here's to a better, greener world on the other side of COVID. That's all for now. We've been asking you to chime in with suggestions for stories you think your fellow listeners would enjoy for bad, terrible dad jokes, for puns or for your personal experience with COVID-19. Let us know what's going on in your neck of the global woods by tagging hashtag on Twitter or reaching out to me directly. I'm at Ben Bullen HSW on Twitter and at Ben Bolin on Instagram. Thanks, as always, to our super producer, Dylan Fagan, our research associate, Sam Teagarden, and most importantly, thanks to you. I'm Ben Boland. We'll see you tomorrow. Until then, stay strange.
0: needed